Hello, welcome to today's episode on blockchain and financial inclusion. I am Arun Krishna Kumar from Rhetoric in London, and I have Effie with me. Hello, I'm Effie Pilarino, fintech and blockchain advisor out of Switzerland. We have Anton and Anton from Humanic and uh, Chi from Sela Labs, uh, largely focused on Africa uh, for this episode, and I'd like to welcome them. Um, thanks, guys, for joining us. Hey, everyone. Um, thank you for having us, Arun. Hi, Aaron. Hi, uh, Effie. Pleasure to be speaking with you today. Great. So uh, let me do a little bit of an introduction on Anton and how I kind of come to know about him. So Anton and Humanic, uh, I've, I've written about them in the past um, on my blogs and uh, very impressed with what they do uh, in the African uh, continent. Um, and recently we've been having conversations around um, how as a VC I can be involved in the firm as well. We've been having several conversations on that front. So when we had the last conversation, I kind of asked if uh, Anton would be willing to uh, do this podcast with us. So uh, thanks, Anton. And I know you're in San Francisco. It's 4 a.m. now. So thanks for joining us so early. Meeting Chi in person in Tuk, uh, but the, the story of connecting with him is a beautiful one. I was at Trust Square in Zurich and having a coffee in the new offices, Anton Golub, one of the co-founders of Trust Square. And I was very excited to share with him my intention to write a book on blockchain that's really a manifesto about um, the possibilities and, and the big mind shift and how it's important to win the hearts of everybody. And I said to Anton, you need to keep this in mind. If people sharing this vision and building stuff around that, if you know them, just please connect them with me. And the first person that came to his mind was she. Great. So Anton, do you want to give us a little bit of an overview of what Humanic does uh, in the African continent? Um, absolutely. Um, so in essence, what Humanic is, uh, what we are doing is that what we are trying to achieve is that we are trying to provide every possible functionality in terms of the financial opportunities uh, for people in emerging economies to get access to the global economy. Uh, I, I know it sounds complicated, uh, but what it really stands for the three major things. So what we do is that we create digital identities uh, for people uh, that that lack their government identities. Um, the majority of the people don't even have birth certificates, so legally they don't even exist for their governments. The second piece that we do with crypto and blockchain is that we provide an opportunity to store, send, and receive funds. Um, so we create the liquidity in here. But the most important piece is the third one, because that's where we provide an opportunity and access to get a remote job, an access for uh, remote online education, and access to the marketplaces, so where you can um, showcase and then pretty much sell and buy product or service. So anything that, so uh, not even an SMBs, right? So to wrap it up is that literally we are doing every possible thing to make sure that people who are left out from the global economy would be just reunited back. Shall we talk about how you're approaching Africa and how you're combining uh, culture and technology to change things? Sure, sure. Um, so I, I, over here, I, we're here at Sella Labs. I guess we always start that we came from trying to solve a problem. And um, the problem was uh, we were, were working through a nonprofit in, in Nigeria and we were looking to catalyze the largest cleanup 
of uh, oil spills in human history. And realizing that we were running into problems of transparency, um, corruption, payments, financing, and looking at solving that problem, you realize, okay, you're interacting with, with folks that are unbanked, folks are undocumented at the same time, you're interacting with folks that are abroad, that are pools of capital, and, and then coming to the blockchain um, as we started to work with consensus at the beginning of last year. And uh, we realized that what we needed to, we, in order to solve this problem, um, what we needed to build was Sela, which is an impact finance network. So essentially, um, let's say you're someone who's a, who is a, who's abroad, you're able to uh, interact financially with someone on ground in Nigeria or throughout Africa, um, either by sending them money, um, by actually executing projects with them. And so really coming from, I like to think of, of what we're doing is really coming from the ground up and working with cleanups, working with building affordable housing, essentially connecting pools of capital to people in the emerging world. In time, working with uh, the World Bank and connecting all these different stakeholders using blockchain and artificial intelligence to uh, to develop projects and create impact. I remember when we spoke, uh, Chi, that you used um, two terms that have uh, stayed with me. Um, that you used the word um, plague, Nigeria's plague, which obviously you were referring to to the oil spills, and then you used um, the word blessing. For uh, blockchain technology, as you are essentially trying to solve this uh, uh, problem, and and I've been thinking of that the combination of how you turn uh, an astute problem, a plague, and I'm sure Anton can talk about all sorts of plagues uh, through the work that they are doing, and how to turn that in into a blessing, empower the people on the ground, and connect them with the rest of the world. Um, I guess to do all this, you need the right incentives. So can you talk a bit about these, both of you? What kind of incentives are built in to what you're doing in order to succeed in your missions? Sure, sure. I mean, okay, so I mean, when we talk about the, when we talk about Nigeria, I'm always going to come from the point of view of Nigeria because I'm from there. That's where I have, that's where my history is. And a lot of this, uh, starting this project was really about reconnecting with my with my history and trying to understand what we can do to move the country forward. Um, got a country of 180, 180 million people. It's going to be 400 million in the next 30 years. It's a highly naturally decentralized country because you have 573 languages. I think I believe it's third most in the entire world. But when you've got 573 languages and 180 million people, people carbon-based life forms humans they don't interact well and they don't have a history of interacting well and the the beautiful thing about blockchain is essentially you can transact with people you don't need to trust someone to transact with them and the saying in nigeria whether you're someone coming from the outside to do business or you're someone on ground doing business the saying always is you can't you don't you can't trust anybody you don't know who you can trust um so when we look at when we look at blockchain, we see the opportunity to create a new paradigm. We see a new way of bringing stakeholders together and having them interact without actually ever looking each other in the eye or being in the same room. This is so important because then how do you get the woman who is, a, say, a farmer who's living in a polluted village for the last 50 years um, where 
uh, childhood mortality is double what it is anywhere in that specific country uh, because of the oil spills. How do you get her in a room with the executive of Shell or with a government official or even with, let's say, um, even or even with a with an NGO or philanthropist? That's the fascinating thing about this is because you actually can't get her and all of those folks in the same room at the same time. Um, so the, the, the communities we started working with in the Niger Delta, um, NGOs, nonprofits that are even shell oil and gas firms that are working in the area, they don't actually go into these communities at all. They're not, they're absolutely unable to. And that's was, that was our central problem. How do you move benefits and services into extreme conditions like this? And so starting and building from probably the toughest scenario, we realized what we could, if we can solve that problem of financially interacting Christie on ground with the NDDC, the Nitro Delta Development Commission, or and with, let's say, an NGO or philanthropist in the U.S., you're essentially solving, you're solving that problem, but you're also solving the same exact problem my folks have as they invest in an industrial park in Nigeria. You're also solving the same problem that um, that tens of millions of Nigerians in the diaspora who are sending money back home have by starting with that salt, with starting with that hardest scenario, that hardest use case. That's why we, I see blockchain as a gift for Nigeria because you're taking a country with so much potential, but it's being held back by its potential. The potential is being held back because of its diversity, because of its decentralization of its power. That's why it can, it can't grow economically. And then suddenly you have, you now have, you're now able to create a digital layer where people can transact value easily. I mean, the, the effects of this is groundbreaking because now let's say you are sitting there, you're sitting in, uh, in, in San Francisco and you're part of the diaspora and you're investing in, in, let's say, a bakery back home. You can do all of this from phone to phone. Whereas before you had to send the money uh, through the bank or you had to literally fly the money with you to Nigeria and you had to literally sit there right in front of the, uh, the construction workers every single day until that job got done and haggle with everybody. So yes, you can, yes, the blockchain allows you to transact, you know, in a trustless manner, but then it also allows you to lay upon incentives on top of that. And again, why it's a gift is because you, let's say going back to Nigeria, 180 million people, it was 186 million people. The average age is 18 years old. So once you get into the mindset of the actual consumer and the actual user, you realize this is someone, the average is of this entire country. I mean, um, I believe it's 70% of the country is under the age of 30. So now you have this big teaming population and their main drive and their main incentive is, it's how do I get the economic reputation or economic credit to even buy a phone, you know? Um, so they're essentially asking the question, how can I be trusted? And that is an amazing opportunity when you have, uh, when you're using uh, blockchain technology, because even if you're only able to interact and affect with 10% or 20%, you're now saying, here's, here's a platform with which you can gain a global economic reputation, be economically included with actors throughout the world. But in order to do that, you're now transacting with someone all the way on the other side of the world they have their own stipulations on how that capital is going to be spent. And so let's say you are someone who wants to fund uh, girls' education or girls' STEM education in Nigeria. There are lots of folks that exist like that throughout the world. Meanwhile, there are lots of actors on ground um, who actually want to build projects like that but can't find funding. So now you're aligning two people 
who before would have not would have not been able to meet each other, but then you're also um, aligning their values instead, and you're aligning their values with capital. And if you're looking at a country where the majority of the population is under the age of 30, or even a continent where the majority of the population is under the age of 30, and their number one drive and need is for capital, you now realize, wow, this is an opportunity to reform or to build for the first time, actually, Africa. Because now you have, you have a whole generation that's ready to build and needs the capital, but then now they're, they're, what they're building is, let's say, aligned with the Sustainable Development Goals. Because the main drive is, what am I going to build with my life? And if I'm going to get capital for it, what are we going to build together? So, i.e., driving people towards, let's say, um, uh, investing in building chicken farms. Things that provide sustenance for everybody in the community. And in their mind, it's just a perspective of sustenance. But from the perspective of capital, you're solving for poverty, you're solving for hunger, you're solving for uh, building sustainable communities. And that's what I feel is really exciting about, that. Why, that's why the technology was created. That's why I find it fascinating that we end up building all these other things with blockchain. I'm like, this is a once in a 500 year opportunity to, uh, to change the way humans interact. That's a great point, uh, Chi. And uh, you touched upon one one thing there, which is the uh, the average age of uh, the African there. So, Anton, a question for you. I'm, I'm sure you've got, uh, I think you've hit about half a million in terms of your user base recently. What is the adoption uh, in terms of uh, millennials versus the rest? Are you largely focused on the uh, the younger generation or, or do you see a good mix of people who uh, who kind of are embracing this technology? Um, it is it is a good thing. So uh, what, um, when we just started, when we just joined, we identified the thing called an educational lag. Um, whenever, whenever you're trying to um, adopt a new technology, uh, whenever you're embracing the new technology, uh, there's always this uh, unknown factor um, in terms of, well, how does it work uh, for the users? What's the user experience? What are their issues? What are their problems? Um, naturally, the younger generations tend to adopt new technologies faster. Um, so for us, in terms of the retention rate, if, if we go back to like, you know, specific figures, the numbers, um, so people from 18 to 25 are the most active participants on the platform. Um, and it's and it's always been there since again since day one we started. But an amazing uh, thing here is that as soon as we launched our uh, ambassadors program, so that's when the ambassadors and the ambassadors are just like just like regular users. Is that just they're a bit more tech savvy? So uh, they've just been using the app a bit more. And then whenever we started promoting uh, those educational events, when people can come in and then ask questions or even talk about what they've done, what they've tried out. So whenever uh, we introduce marketplaces features, for instance, where you can literally, again, showcase everything that you want to offer, would it be like a service? Would it be like a product? Would it be like, again, uh, like an opportunity? Um, would it be a loan that you'd want to offer to someone? So any sort of the business would you like to offer? Um, we saw that then there was a dramatic change in terms of now it's not actually the millenniums who are leading the activity, uh, it would be actually, um, well, let's call it this way, a, an older generation. So people from 30 to 45, those would be the most active 
uh, people on the platform now. So what we see here is that um, the point of the adoption, so whenever there's something new that you don't understand and then you are exploring, it would be the millenniums who would lead the activity. But then once people actually realize and understand, uh, fully understand what are the beauties, right? So what are the benefits? What are the clear and precise benefits that they can feel, that they can touch, that they can see, right? That they can experience. We can see that now it's it's just the older generation that's taking the lead. And again, it just it's pure numbers in terms of the number of the deals that they're performing, in terms of the number of the clients that they're talking to every single day. Um, and, and that's something for me, that fact, it was, it was something that I would never expect to happen. And uh, one question I have is um, the pre-blockchain payments boom that happened in Africa, thanks to M-Pesa, suffered from interoperability problems within the continent. Um, which probably meant it couldn't actually scale past a few countries in Africa that it is really uh, kind of uh, thriving in. So do you see those issues in what you guys do? Um, so M-Pesa is definitely like a model use case. Uh, it's been extremely successful, just as you mentioned, in some countries and then extremely unsuccessful in other countries. Um, but then that what happens with the technology that is reliant on other factors, so on other place in the industry, so whenever we're talking about um, you know a full life cycle or like supply chain of like how to get the technology, for instance, if we're talking about Mpesa, the remittance part um, to the end users, uh, or if we're talking about cross-border payments, now you're highly reliant on again other industry players. Um, the beauty the beauty of the blockchain is that initially it was actually solving a very very specific niche problem, the problem of the double spending. Um, so something that we as a humanity have been fighting, like, uh, again, ever since we, well, we know the concept of the money. Uh, but then we realized that it's a bit more than that. Uh, and then what I really liked, uh, what Chi um, just, well, just mentioned earlier, is that now the point of the trust is actually like reverted. It's, it's reinvented. Um, what is the trust? And then who do you need to trust? And then that created the precedent of now, even, even in terms of the cross-border payments, now that's not, um, that wouldn't be the pain point anymore. Now there wouldn't be such point uh, as, 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 again, as borders or as distances. So whenever we're talking about the physical appearance of money, like cash or um, coins or, you know, even mobile money, which still depends on the borders because of the different regulatory perspective, it, it's, still, it's still adopting, it's still evolving and changing, especially in, uh, in well, super emerging countries like Nigeria. Um, again, just a, just a quick uh, interesting fact. So indeed, whenever, um, whenever we first started investigating um, Nigeria, so we were doing the market research into the country, so um, whether we should enter, what's the size, et cetera, et cetera. So indeed, whenever whenever found, found out um, how young the country is, it was, it was incredible, it was insane, just, just like the blockchain technology in here. Uh, but then the blockchain, is, it was designed digital by day one, it was designed to have no limits. It was designed, again, just literally to not understand what are the borders. So we are, who are setting the, again, the artificial borders to make sure that we comply with local regulatory rules. But the technology itself is, is limitless. And, and that's the key point here in terms of, again, uh, how, how different the routes are in terms of the adoption, how different the routes are in terms of the future. Um, so in terms of whether we see problems or whether we're facing the problems, I would say is that they're um, none of them are tech-based. The only issues or like obstacles that we um, that we have to overcome 
and then that we might face in the future are just literally the regulatory perspective. This, this confirms what um, uh, is, is said uh, in most speeches that uh, Gunter Gobrar, uh, the head of uh, PwC and the legal practice worldwide, uh, who, who's doing a lot of work in blockchain, he always says that regulation is what is going to lead or determine the dominant technology. So if regulation uh, is really unfavorable, um, in effect, it can limit the, the adoption or the form that blockchain technology will take. But even that, it's, it's, a, it's a complex uh, social problem. I, I personally believe that if enough uh, people regain their hearts and minds about the potential of blockchain technology, the, this push will come bottom up and it might take longer, but we, we, we should be able to, to change the, the way we organize. I, I totally agree, Afi. The, the point here is, is that the approach which you take um, as a preventative approach or I would call it uh, as a post-action approach. Um, to me, I would always consider that the most efficient one would be, uh, especially when we're talking about the new technologies, not just blockchain, but anything else. Uh, if you allow this technology to grow and evolve, um, if you just literally allow it to live its own life up until some point, and that's the point that where you have to, again, understand when the regulation will always follow up, and, and it's a good thing. Otherwise, it would be uh, there wouldn't be a, a good thing uh, about this technology. But if you try to uh, regulate it before it actually evolves and, and we all understand what is the potential of this technology, then you would never find it out. Um, and that's the problem of us being, a, uh, again, a crypto company. As I mentioned earlier, we could be uh, global by day one. Like for us, offering our services like in all countries on the planet is not a technical issue. But it's just literally the regulatory perspective that we have to follow, we have to investigate, we have to um, communicate with the legal team. And that's why we are moving country by country. So it comes back from the people that are to use the service, right, which should be like literally borderless. We come back to uh, specific territories where we can work and then where we can't. Uh, we are very open to work with any regulatory uh, body. It's just that the speed the technology is evolving today, it's a completely different, it's a completely different world. The things uh, in our space are changing literally every single day. What we're talking about with regulation and M-Pesa, um, M-Pesa is a very, very interesting use case for where Africa is right now and where Africa is going. Um, the Our first investors uh, at Level Capital in Lagos, they invested in M-Pesa, invested in Paco Mobile. They wrote that uh, that mobile money wave. And I remember the CEO pulled me aside one day late in the morning at four o'clock in the morning, as you do when you're working at a startup. And he said, you know, the thing about Mpesa, the reason why it was a disaster in Nigeria, but worked so well is because Nigeria is run by the banks and the banks and the telecoms are fighting over power. So, Understanding the, like you're saying, like we're saying, the regulatory landscape is absolutely key before even entering. Our, our uh, chairman of our board, Andrew Dell, who's a former CEO of HSBC Africa, loves to say that you got to let the leg regulation lead you. Or actually, he likes, to, he likes to correct me when I say, oh, this is a point of disruption. He says, no, this is a point of collaboration. 
looking to collaborate with um, with the regulatory environment because then, as we're saying, teaches you on what you can, on what the rules of the game is. And the special thing about about Nigeria as a market is because you've got powerful banks, you've got powerful telecoms, and because blockchain is totally digital, it's important for us at least to build in a way that both the banks and the telecoms want to partner with you, where they're both bidding to work with you. Um, for example, we focus on remittances, cross-border payments, and project execution on ground, which means that it's really about how much capital each person will transact on the platform. That's beneficial to banks. More capital is flowing into the country. It's also beneficial to telecoms. More, uh, you know, users are using the phone to now subscription service because the phone is now a point of, for them, an economic point, uh, a point of economic activity for them. So really looking at, because Africa, if it's blockchain, we have an amazing opportunity to, and I say build, and I almost, sometimes I say rebuild, but it's literally Africa's first opportunity to build itself. Because if you really think about it, Nigeria was formed in October 1st, 1960. I mean, my parents were, were my dad was born before that. So it's, it, even as a country, it's not even that old. Um, so we look to collaborate with the, with the powers that be, but then, then you're talking about, let's say Nigerian central bank, which is looking at the regulatory environment in the West to lead itself. So it's it's this state of confusion that we're all in as we're trying to innovate and also trying to work with these governments. Now we're just back quickly to one thing I was mentioning on how the decentralization is a positive. When you have a country of 180, 180 million plus people and you have over 50 states, the decentralization actually becomes fantastic for rolling out your tech because you don't need to, um, you, you know, you just need to go into one town, one state and implement, can let it grow organically, as Effie would say, from the ground up. Because once value is being created for folks in that state, folks in neighboring states look around and saying, wait a second, schools are being built in that state. Why don't we have that? They're already transacting, like we're saying, across borders. So that actually puts pressure on the powers that be to work with you. Um, so always thinking about as we, as, as we, let, uh, as we let it expand naturally, like, a, like an organism across borders, but always looking for, to the governments for points of collaboration and saying, okay, how can we work together? Because if you don't do that, you're not going to be able to, if you're not able to you know, work with both hands, you're not going to be able to, uh, to scale as quickly and be as effective as you want to. It's time for the rapid fire round. So who wants to go first? Anton, can I start with you? Yes, absolutely. Okay, here we go. How do you have your morning coffee? Uh, I don't. Good one. <laughs> what book are you reading at the moment? Uh, I'm reading the new book, uh, Team, Team Drapers. Uh, it's called uh, A Superstar. When did the blockchain uh, bug bite you? Uh, 2014. What was your best moment in what you're doing? Every day, literally. That's the best moment. What's your next uh, country of expansion? Uh, it's Japan. Great. Okay, I think that's Anton. Let's do the same with uh, Chi as well. Chi. Okay, let's do it. Okay, <laughs> so uh, Chi, uh, what Nigerian language do you speak? Igbo. I'm, I'm, a, I'm an Igbo man from the Igbo tribe. 
till, till the, you know, the whole way through, you know. Okay. How do you have your morning coffee? Okay, this is going to make me sound terrible. Um, but, you know, we were all in college at one point. Uh, coffee and uh, black with uh, protein powder. And it's, it's, so it becomes like, like sort of muddy and disgusting. And everybody thinks it's disgusting, but it's, it's a great wake-up call. Great. Your favorite holiday spot? Sorry, holiday spot? Yeah. Ah. Uh, Favorite holiday spot, Barcelona. You're uh, the inspirational leader in blockchain. You know, I, I don't have an inspirational leader in blockchain evidence. I have people that inspire me in technology, people like Jaron Lanier, people who are thinking about how technology is evolving and changing humanity and interacting with humanity, uh, how this runaway train is taking us all and how can we use it to actually build a better society. Um, yeah, and then economists like Tyler Cohen. Would you wear a Vitalik t-shirt? Vitalik t-shirt, rather. Absolutely. I would, <laughs> I would, if it was a t-shirt, likely I, I would probably end up being one of those people who wears it around the house or wears it at the gym. But That was, that was great. Um, that's pretty much it from our end. Uh, thanks very much for making time and have a great uh, rest of the day. Cheers, guys. Awesome. Thank you, Arun. Thank you, Afi. Thank you, Chi and Anton. Oh, 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 oh,